Today's episode is brought to you by our sponsor, Soberlink. The Soberlink system is designed to make parenting time safer with real-time remote alcohol monitoring. Soberlink uniquely combines a breathalyzer with wireless connectivity and is the only system that includes facial recognition, tamper detection, and advanced reporting. Parents can submit a test anytime, anywhere, thanks to Soberlink's wireless technology, which delivers test results by text message or email to the concerned parties. Simplify co-parenting arrangements by using the system that provides transparency and proof of sobriety throughout the day. Flexible schedules combined with real-time delivery of results make Soberlink the experts in remote alcohol monitoring technology. To learn more or sign up today, visit Soberlink.com backslash family law. Use promo code BEYOND20 to receive $50 off a device. Coming up on today's episode of the Divorce and Beyond podcast. I'm on fire to talk about this. So <laughs> invisible abuse is as I defied it, is any type of abuse that doesn't leave a mark on your body, but that leaves a mark on your psyche, on your brain, on your soul, on your heart. Hello, and welcome to the Divorce and Beyond podcast. I'm Susan Guthrie, your host. As a top divorce attorney and family law mediator for 30 years, I know what you need to know to get through your divorce, and most importantly, how to move beyond it to thrive and transition to your new future. My experts and I are here to give you the insider view into the process, so listen in for the wisdom and expert information you need on your journey through divorce and beyond. Hello and welcome to today's podcast. I'm Susan Guthrie, and today my guest and I will be exploring the hidden effects of emotional abuse and how you can stage your epic comeback from the trauma of that insidious experience. So joining me today is Nikki Bruno, the creator of the epic comeback, and who doesn't, I just love that that name. Um, she is an empowerment coach who helps people to end the cycle of invisible abuse and heal so they can rediscover just how incredible they are. So thank you, Nikki, for joining us today. Susan, it is my honor to be on your show. Thank you. Yeah, I, I, you and I have been talking about doing this episode for a little while. And when you brought me this topic, I was so excited uh, because, uh, you know, and I just mentioned this to you, I've done almost 100 podcast episodes and we have not done this this episode and you are the perfect person to do it. And it is a topic that needs to be talked about. So thank you for bringing it to me. Thank you for being here. Um, I want to be sure everyone knows a little bit about you. We'll talk more about that, but um, just a quick update. You are a post-divorce women's empowerment coach, and you're also the founder and CEO of The Epic Comeback. And as I said, I just think that is the perfect name. And for this topic, it's actually the perfect name. And I think people will understand that as we are talking um, as we go through this. Now, you're also a 20-year veteran of the publishing industry, and you're, you yourself are a published author. And your experience, and this is what I have found from doing this podcast, you have your own experience of reclaiming your power after a high-conflict divorce 
And that's what inspired you to help others do the same. So Nikki is a thought leader on high conflict divorce, verbal and emotional abuse, intuition, and mompreneurship. (laughs) I stumbled a little over that. But these are all topics that I think are are deeply um, interesting to my listeners, especially this idea of emotional and invisible abuse. So thank you again, Nikki, for joining us. It's my pleasure. So, you know, as we talk about this, I I mentioned to you that I myself um, have my own experience of recovering after a an emotionally abusive relationship. And, you know, it's one of those things. I was a divorce attorney at the time. This is many years back. But even as a divorce attorney, this was not something that I understood. I didn't understand that I was in an abusive relationship. Um, And so that's, you know, why this topic, when you raised it for me that we could talk about this. That's why I just, you know, we, we upped my taping schedule to fit this in. And I really want to get this out because I think that people listening to this, many of them are going to hear things that are going to ring a bell for them, right? They're going to hear something and go, wait a minute, maybe something that's happening in my life isn't okay, or that, you know, there, there will be something that resonates. So I, you know, maybe the best place to start is what is it that you mean by the term invisible abuse? I'm on fire to talk about this. So (laughs) invisible abuse is, as I defined it, is any type of abuse that doesn't leave a mark on your body, but that leaves a mark on your psyche, on your brain, on your soul, on your heart. And emotional abuse, and there are so many different kinds, and we'll get to that, but it can be so subtle and it can take incredibly intelligent people years, sometimes even decades, to realize that it's going on in their relationship, either that they're doing it or that they're or that they're on the receiving end. Because it can be so hard to detect. And that's one of the tragedies of emotional abuse. There aren't any good statistics about emotional abuse because it's so common. And in mild forms, most of us have been, um, most of us have been to some extent emotionally abusive to others. So we've all called someone a name. Um, There may be times in our lives that we've threatened someone. Um, But when it becomes regular and persistent and when it becomes severe, that is a huge problem. And another tragedy about emotional abuse is that it's really hard to prove because usually it's not recorded in any way. It's just one person's testimony. And that creates problems, as we'll talk about later, that creates problems in in the legal realm and problems in court and problems when it comes to domestic violence protection, because emotional abuse is a form of domestic violence. At least I certainly define it that way. Um, And another thing about emotional or what I call invisible abuse is that it is commonly practiced by people who are quote unquote, high conflict. And that generally means people who have a personality disorder, whether it be narcissistic personality disorder or uh, borderline personality disorder and people who have psychopathic traits. So, but I also don't want to want to kind of under, uh, underestimate the number of people who do not have personality disorders and who not are, who are not potentially mentally ill who also are quite emotionally abusive. 
Um, and then the last thing that I want to say on, on sort of the definition is that multiple studies have shown that severe emotional abuse and severe physical abuse are equally damaging and harmful. And the, the damage that is done can be permanent and is deep and is uh, certainly a form of trauma. Yeah, and I think that that's a significant factor here for people to hear. Um, you know, physical abuse can lead to emotional trauma, certainly. Um, the problem with emotional abuse or invisible abuse, as, as you are calling it, is I used the word insidious earlier. And, and that's the problem with it is often the victim does not even realize what's happening because it's kind of a slippery slope um, where the, uh, an abuser sort of starts out with smaller things and then it, it builds because as you allow certain invasions of your, you know, your emotional content, um, they, they will ramp it up over time. And that can be years, right? Our relationships and marriages and all that can go on for years. So why maybe we could, you could talk about some types of invisible abuse and, and give some examples. Cause that's really where I think listeners will go and the bells will go off. Absolutely. Yes. And I'm going to try to make this on the brief side because there are so many different kinds. So what I thought I would do is highlight maybe three or four uh, different types of emotional abuse and give some examples. Um, and then also give a brief example of how a good way to respond, a good way to respond when you find yourself in a situation where someone is, is speaking to you in that way or treating you that way. Um, That's great. I love the tips for people. Perfect. <laughs> Cool, cool. So we're going to roll with that. So the most obvious form of emotional abuse from a lot of people's point of view is called name calling. Um, someone's calling you a name. And what can be more subtle about name calling is that people who are being emot emotionally abusive don't always use the most common names, right? Um, because sometimes sometimes the names that or the words that most hurt us are not words that other people would recognize as being curse words or insults or epithets or anything like that or slurs. Um, so that's what makes it a little bit, a little bit more subtle. We don't always know necessarily when we're being called a name that's insulting. Um, but examples of name calling, uh, how can you be so stupid? Why are you always such an a-hole? <laughs> yeah. Pretty darn, you know, obvious kinds of things. So that's name calling. Um, and an example of how to respond to name calling, and this is a phrase that I love, I won't tolerate you talking to me like that. I won't allow that. I won't tolerate it. Or to say that word that you just use hurts me. It offends me. Please don't call me that again. And I want to emphasize that when responding to, to emotional abuse, it's important to include a request, not just an ouch, but all, that hurts me, but also a request to not do it again, because you're registering that in sort of the universe, right? And so that later on, if a person, um, if a person repeats the behavior, you, you know that you've already asked for it to stop. Well, which can sort of help you define the abuse, right? If, if a person has been made aware that it's offensive and yet continues to do it, maybe that's part of the definition of abuse. A hundred percent, Susan. That's a, such a big red flag because emotional abuse 
ever, any form of emotional abuse is a boundary violation. It's somebody doing something to you that is against one of your boundaries or perhaps against a societal boundary or a legal boundary, right? right. So if you've set the boundary and you've said, I don't like it when you call me stupid, it's not okay with me, I won't tolerate it, please stop. Then if the person does it again, you could, that is a red flag and you can say to yourself, all right, this is starting to become problematic. Right. And catching it early, boy, oh boy, if we could all catch emotional abuse <laughs> early, we, this world would be a different place. Yeah, if you're dating someone who's doing these things, red flag, red flag, red flag. Pay attention. Big red flag. (laughs) Totally. Um, So the second type of emotional abuse that I wanted to highlight is extreme criticism. Some people are really critical. Some people are not. But when it's extreme and when it's deep and when it's constant, that is emotional abuse. So an example of extreme criticism. You used to be so in shape. You used to be so hot. What happened to you? What happened to your body? It's gotten soft. Or... You are the flakiest person in the world. Why do you always bail? You always bail on people. Um, Another subtler form of criticism um, is if somebody somebody were to say to you, why didn't you buy mustard when you knew we needed it? The The phrase at the beginning of that sentence, why didn't you, indicates criticism. It implies that you've messed up. It implies that you've done something wrong and that you should have done something else. And it's some, that's really subtle and, and it could very easily be part of a conversation between boyfriend and girlfriend or husband and wife or wife and wife or what have you. Um, but the phrase, why didn't you, there's a criticism right in there. It's, it's an aggressive phrase. Um, so some ways to respond if, if someone in your life is criticizing, criticizing you a lot about tiny things, medium things, and big things like your body, um, to say, I won't tolerate you criticizing me like that, stop it. Clear, brief, stop. <laughs> right. Um, or stop. It hurts me when you're harsh and critical about my body. It tells me that you don't value and respect me. Right. Um, and in all of these cases, by the way, when you're responding, if the first response or maybe the second response doesn't seem to be working and the person continues, um, number one, that's a red flag. And number two, you may need to disengage or leave the room, leave the building. Simply respond with your body by walking away. Right. That's another boundary, right? You, you set the verbal boundary with this hurts me, please don't do this. But yeah. your physical distancing is also a boundary. Um, And, you know, I do want to distinguish, we all say things in a thoughtless way at times, right? We might be frustrated with our kids or with our husband or with a friend or a family member or anyone in the world and say something in a way that perhaps is more harsh or critical than we intend. And we are talking about sort of an ongoing course of communication from this person in your life. It's not a one-off comment here or there um, that that sort of totals emotional or invisible abuse, I don't think. Absolutely. And that's one of the reasons why emotional abuse is so insidious. Because if it's happening over and over and over, and maybe not every day, but but it's regularly happening, if it's just a one-off, it if it's about, if the criticism is about something small, it gives the other person sort of the abusive person, if you will, 
an excuse or an out every single time. Because if you object to a credit to the criticism, their response is likely to be, what's the problem? I'm just, you know, I'm, Hey dude, I'm just pissed off about the mustard, you know? Yeah. So it's just so mustard. It, yeah. So if you object to it, you can be made to appear overly defensive, overly sensitive. And someone who is emotionally abusive is going to pick up on that. And they're going to go after you and they're going to turn the blame around on you and say, my gosh, you're so sensitive. My gosh, you're so defensive. You really got to work on that. Like this isn't a big deal. Yeah. Which is another form of emotional abuse actually, because you're minimizing, you're minimizing someone's objection, minimizing it it, or denying. Those are other forms of emotional abuse. So yes. Susan, that's such an important clarification to make. You know, if it, it has to be persistent and it has to be a pattern. So the third type of invisible abuse, I mentioned before that any kind of that any kind of abuse is really a boundary violation. So this type of abuse I call an emotional boundary violation. Some examples of that. Your mother ignores the word no every time you say it. Every single time you say no, she ignores it or she gets angry about it. Um, another example is let's say that you have arachnophobia, like legit arachnophobia. You're scared of, of uh, extremely terrified of spiders. And your partner often surprises you with photos, videos of spiders. Right. I know that's it's funny. Yeah. It's funny it, to see your response. Because it's funny. But you never respond in a way that you never respond as if it's funny. You respond with terror. (laughs) Yeah. Like that's not cool. It's just not okay. Um, Another, another example, um, your partner reads your texts behind your back. And maybe at first you haven't been clear with your partner that you don't want him or her to read your texts, but let's say that you do make that emotional boundary, emotional boundary clear. Like, Hey, I don't want you in my email. I don't want you in my texts. Please don't do that and they keep doing it, that's a huge problem. That's a huge red flag. Um, Another last example is, let's say you tell your girlfriend that you need me time on Friday nights. Let's say, you know, you don't live together and you say, you know, I really reserve Friday nights for me time. That's important to me. But your girlfriend keeps stopping by on Friday nights. She's finding excuses to stop by on Friday nights. Not cool. Not okay. Right. Um, So ways to respond is to say, as you know... (laughs) This is an important boundary for me. When I told you about it, I really meant that. If you do it again, I will X, Y, or Z. So sometimes it is important to give uh, to give a consequence, to give the person a consequence. Um, or by violating a boundary that I've already set, you are showing me that you don't have any respect for what I say, for what I do. Um, another, when you're responding to emotional abuse, another really good technique is to, is to ask a question and make sure you get an answer. So if you say, Will you please stop doing that? And then require the person to answer you. Require them to say yes or no. Right. Will you please? And wait, wait for the response. Because then if you get their buy-in and they say, okay, I get it. I'm not going to do that again. You have set, you've set a boundary. If they cross the boundary, then that's a red flag. If you then say, will you please stop and get their buy-in and they say yes, and then they keep doing it, that's the reddest flag in the whole world. Yeah. So, um, and then finally, another way to respond is call 911. You know, if it's, if it's bad enough and it's a really awful boundary violation, like you're getting a sex, you're getting sexually aggressive remarks from, 
from a person in your home and in the, the sort of, um, fight is escalating and you're starting to suspect, well, maybe someone's going to get physical here, call 911, go to the police. If it's in, if you're in a professional environment, go straight to HR. That's, that's a really good point. And I thought your point on consequences is also really significant because I think this is where victims have a lot of difficulty. Um, People set boundaries and then say there's a consequence, but when the boundary is breached, they do not enforce the consequence, which only makes the problem worse and leads to an escalation of the abusive behaviors, I think. I'd like to take a moment now to talk to my mediation colleagues. As many of us are facing the inability to continue our in-person mediation and dispute resolution practices, I want you to know there's an alternative option. Many of you do know that I have a fully online mediation and coaching practice, and for more than two years, I've actually been training other professionals in how to conduct their mediations online through my Learn to Mediate online program. I've always said that the future of mediation and dispute resolution is online, and now, honestly, that future is here. In my two-hour training program, you'll learn the basics of conducting your mediations through an online video conferencing platform, and I'll cover the practical and ethical considerations that you need to know to do it well. Right now, we also have several webinars scheduled, and we offer one-on-one -on -one and group trainings by appointment. I've reduced the cost of the webinars to only $299 so that as many of you as possible have access. So go to www.learntomediateonline.com to find out more and register today. Stay tuned for more from Susan and her guest, Nikki Bruno, talking about staging an epic comeback after an emotionally abusive relationship. First of all, emotional abuse, as you said, it can create a high conflict dynamic, a dynamic where, where there's a power differential. There's one, there's one person who's more powerful than the other and has more influence on the other. Um, so it, emotional abuse, it can create either a really high conflict dynamic if the person who's being abused fights you know, is, is objecting and fighting, or an, emotional, an emotionally abusive dynamic can also create an extreme miscarriage of justice. If you are enjoying this episode, check out Meet Your Best Friend in a Breakup, Trina Leckie, the host of the Breakup Boost podcast. Now with all this dating app stuff, it's just people are running around. There's so many people out there talking to multiple people. I feel like people aren't really valuing real relationships now because no one's really even believing that there will be a real relationship. Like they'll go on a date and then they're already thinking negatively about it because they've had so many negative, you know, things happen. It's just kind of becoming a chore and more of a hassle than an exciting thing. And now we return to today's show. Could you talk a little bit about the importance of maintaining those consequences. So you have to think about what you are threatening. I won't, shouldn't say threatening. What you say the consequence will be, you have to know that you will actually enforce it. Absolutely. Yes. In the same way that we need to pick our battles, we also need to pick our consequences. It's like when you, you know, it's, you know, it's like, I see a lot of parents struggling with this and I struggle with it myself <laughs> is you set a boundary. And if you're not willing to enforce it, then your boundary becomes 
useless and your your authority kind of shrinks uh, with whoever you're dealing with. So yes, important to set a consequence when when it's super important to you um, and even more important to enforce it. And the consequence may be something just like, if you continue to talk to me that way, I'm going to need to leave the room. Um, so it's, it's good if the consequence is something that you have control over. <laughs> That's a good point. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like, Lightning's going to strike you from the sky. If you do that again, is probably not a great consequence to threaten. <laughs> right. And the consequence should be specific. So the consequence shouldn't be, if you continue to do that, bad things are going to happen in our relationship, you know? And that may be true. That may be true. But it's not something, it's, it's more effective if it's, if it's something, if it's something specific. And if, if it gets to the point where, where the emotional abuse is so bad that you need to, you feel that you need to leave the situation, then absolutely pull out the threat. If this continues, I'm going to demand that we go into therapy. If this continues, I will leave you. If it's that serious, you got to, you got to go for it. It takes a lot of strength and a lot of courage, a ton. I'm not trying to, I'm not saying this is easy. It's not easy, but being firm is so important. It shows respect for yourself and value for yourself. And ultimately it's, it's what will help you to move beyond the abuse. You know, I see this dynamic in divorce mediations fairly often um, because if there's been an abusive dynamic in the marriage and the people get to the mediation table, it's not like magically that dynamic is gone. It's usually exacerbated. Um, And one of the things that is an effective tool that I have seen people use, you've mentioned it just here, is if you continue to talk to me that way in this process, I will leave the process. I will not continue to come to the table and mediate. So it does, you know, many of my listeners are either facing divorce or going through the divorce process. What are some of the ways beyond what I, what I just said that you think that the invisible abuse impacts the divorce process? Yeah, so there are multiple ways. Um, first of all, emotional abuse, as you said, it can create a high conflict dynamic, a dynamic where, where there's a power differential. There's one, there's one person who's more powerful than the other and has more influence on the other. Um, so it, emotional abuse, it can create either a really high conflict dynamic if the person who's being abused fights, you know, is, is objecting and fighting, or... An, emotional, uh, an emotionally abusive dynamic can also create an extreme miscarriage of justice if the abused person doesn't fight, if the abused person kind of um, lies down or assumes the position and, and is on the receiving end of a really unfair divorce in terms of custody, in terms of division of assets, um, in terms of division of, yeah, of division yeah. of assets property. So it can create one of those, one of those two things. Um, and, and as we know, I know you know this better than I do, a high conflict divorce takes longer, it costs more, and it wreaks such extreme emotional havoc on the spouses, on the children, on the other family members. So that's one of the, one of the um, effects. Another is, as you mentioned, it can be really hard to mediate and use a lower conflict method to divorce because of that uneven power dynamic, as you said, um, mediation can become a platform for further abuse. 
and it can turn into an unfair deal if the mediator doesn't know what they're doing. It takes a highly skilled mediator to mediate in a situation where there's a high conflict person who's involved and an emotionally abusive person who's, who's involved in, in the marriage. Um, the other thing is it causes fear, major fear. Emotional abuse causes major real fear if the abused person is the one who files for divorce as opposed to the person who is on the receiving end, the person who, um, who has been filed against. Mm-hmm. Because the abusive person gets much more, tends to get much more abusive after, after someone has filed for divorce against them. Right. So yeah, they don't take it well, usually. No, they don't take it well. It's like, and they often will retaliate as, as I know you've seen by moving money around, by being cagey, by hiring a bulldog attorney, um, and by asking for and demanding more custody of the children than is really healthy. And that, and then they really even want because they're retaliating because they're getting back at the person who has filed, has filed and they actually want to hurt you. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I actually want to make that point because while mediation can be difficult with a high conflict personality or with this, bullying dynamic or abusive dynamic, if you have a good mediator who knows how to manage a high conflict personality, it's actually a better choice than litigation because what happens with litigation is very often the abuser uses litigation as another weapon against the abused victim. Um, They will file frivolous motions, making extraneous allegations. They will, as you've just pointed out, ask for things that are really not reasonable in light of the circumstances, but that you have to go to court and spend money and time and effort to disabuse the court of that notion. Um, it's and, and it drags it out and costs a lot more money. And they use that monetary aspect as a further abuse um, by making funds unavailable, et cetera, to properly defend the case. So um, litigation can be another aspect of the weapon. I know a lot of people immediately default to thinking, well, I've got to go get myself a bulldog attorney. What they don't understand is that's actually feeding a dynamic that can make the abuse even worse. A hundred percent. And I know there's a lot of debate about this within the mediation and family law community, whether you can mediate with a high conflict person, such as a pathological narcissist or someone with borderline personality disorder. Um, and it's, it can be very hard to protect a person who is being abused through this process. So I think it can be very helpful not only to have a mediator involved, but also to have an attorney involved for the person who is being abused so that that person feels that they have an advocate. Yeah. Because and a mediator has to be neutral. Um, right. So it, it's, I personally, I'll speak for myself, I think it's incredibly important in an abusive dynamic for during the legal process of divorce for the person who's being abused to have an advocate, a strong advocate, not a bulldog, but a strong advocate. A strong advocate who understands the abusive dynamic. I I have to emphasize that. Yes. I also think that having not only an advocate, but a coach 
who can help the right. I, I, but I, I, you know, I so strongly believe in this, and and I don't want you know we're running up um, to the end of the episode, but I don't want to not get to the the really important part here. Um, you know, you talk about the epic comeback journey. Um, let's talk about that and make sure that people understand that there's help out there. There is help out there. And I wish we had another hour because I have so much more to say, but, um, so the Epic comeback journey is, um, the methodology and the curriculum for my coaching program. The Epic comeback is the name of my coaching program, the name of my company and the name of the framework that I've created to help women kick butt in their lives again after going through a divorce. So I want to stress that healing from emotional abuse and trauma is best done with a therapist. That's not me. As the healing process happens and as, um, as, or is sort of not finished, the healing process is never really fully finished, but when you, you know, when, when someone's come, come along a long way in their, in their journey of healing, I'm about helping people grow and have that epic comeback and take action after they have gone through um, the divorce process. So the journey has eight steps, eight steps. And this is what I do with my clients. We begin with, um, there's some kind of turning point. And this, by the way, is the result of me doing a lot of studies of specific comebacks of all different types, athletic, personal, professional. And they, all of these comebacks have some things in common. Um, so the eight steps, it begins with the turning point, just this moment where you are done with the crap and you know that something in your life is going to change. Like it is time, it's action time. It's go time. I'm going to get my mojo back. Forget all of this. Um, the next step in the process is called reckoning, um, which is a dramatic word, but it's my word for, for assessing where you are. What's my status. I'm going to be really radically honest right now and say, these are the things that kind of are stacked against me. And these are the things that are in my corner. These are my superpowers. This, this is the positive, some of the positive, um, the positive aspects of my divorce. I'm newly liberated. I'm single. I can be the parent I want to. So that's the reckoning, like really assessing where am I right now? The next step is called clearing. And that means getting rid of things that you don't need, whether it be limiting beliefs, whether it be clutter in your home, whether it be relationships that aren't working for you anymore and are toxic beyond your marriage, beyond your spouse. Um, so that's clearing. Get rid of the things you don't need. Then the next step is to create an epic vision. Create a vision of what you want your life to be looking like in six months or a year. And that's how long I work with my clients. We stay together for a while and we commit to this epic vision. The next step is to make a plan. Let's make a plan to implement the vision. And then after you've made the plan, then you start taking action. That's the next step. You take action and then um, the next step is troubleshooting. So there's something that's going to come up, multiple things that are going to, obstacles that will come up internal and external along the way of staging that epic comeback. And then finally, you get there. It's what I call the epic launch. So you're, you've done like you've done it. And for my clients, the epic launch is some kind of ritual or party or some kind of launch. It could be the launch of a new business, whatever it is, that marks their arrival at having staged their epic comeback. It's your celebration. I love it. That is, you know, it, what's fabulous about what you just laid out is the incredible progression 
and the clear vision that you have to help people through that. One of the things that I didn't mention people in telling you about Nikki is she's a very smart cookie as well. She, she, you have degrees from, is it, is it Princeton and Harvard? So this is not a woman who is uneducated or hasn't, I mean, she mentioned she did all these studies and, and look at that beautiful progression through what I always call creating a new future beyond whatever your trauma was. Um, And, you know, one um, coach made the distinction between therapy and coaching for me as therapy is dealing with the past, what got you where you are to that point, coaching is helping you with the future and moving into that better future. And what you just described in your eight stages of the epic comeback journey is so, you know, indicative of that forward momentum and, you know, what this whole podcast is about, divorce and beyond. Um, So thank you for sharing that. And I do, so a couple of things, you, um, I want to make sure people know how to get in touch with you to find out more about how to stage their own epic comeback. And then you have created an incredible gift for listeners. Um, So if you could tell them about that. Absolutely. So the best way to find me is on my website. My website is the epic comeback.com. I'm on social media, but website is definitely the place to go. And then the free gift that I have, it's a four-part video series that I created. It's educational, it's personal, it's from the heart. And the name of this series is How to Reclaim Your Life After a High Conflict Divorce. And it certainly applies to any divorce. It doesn't have to be a particular level of conflict. Yeah, well, or any uh, abusive relationship, really, whether it's a divorce situation or not, right? I think your information is fantastic. And that, you know, is such a generous offer, a gift for, for people listening. I will put all of this information in the show notes for listeners. Um, but I, Nikki, thank you, because you know, this this topic, I think, for me is a personal one. I, I want people to hear um, and understand that this is an insidious thing, but once they recognize it, you know, I always say awareness is the start of change. Um, They can stage their own epic comeback as you have. Um, And so thank you so much for joining me here today. Absolutely, Susan. And thank you for giving this topic and me a platform, a platform. So important. Thank you. Thank you for joining me today on the Divorce and Beyond podcast. I hope you found some information and inspiration to help you on this journey. Please join me every Monday at 6 a.m. Eastern Standard Time for a new episode. And if you like the show, please take the time to subscribe and leave me a five-star review on iTunes. You can also find more information on the website at divorceandbeyondpod.com where you'll find links to the YouTube channel, transcripts of the episodes, and other bonus content. So I'll see you next week to help you move through your divorce and beyond.